God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I've entitled this morning's message from Hebrews chapter 8, What is the New Testament? Now generally, when people think of the New Testament, they think of Matthew through Revelation and the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. What is the New Testament? While there are Old Testament books and New Testament books, uh, the message in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same. The Old Testament does not present one way of salvation, and the New Testament presents another way of salvation. Uh, The Old Testament does not present a God of wrath, but the New Testament presents a God of love. It's not like that at all. The Old Testament is works. That's not saying that Genesis through uh, Malachi teaches salvation by works. It means God's first covenant was a covenant of works. Salvation dependent upon what man does. This covenant of works began with Adam in the garden. He gave him one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you will die. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Adam's standing was dependent upon his ability to keep a law. The New Testament is grace. Now, grace has always been the way sinners have been saved. You'll remember that Abel approached God only through the blood sacrifice And he was saved by the grace of God. Uh, Sinners were saved in the Old Testament by grace, just like they're saved in the New Testament by, by grace. But the point is, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is works. The New Covenant is grace. Now, what does that mean? We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 8. And I don't believe there's a more important chapter in all the Bible than Hebrews chapter 8. And in this chapter, he tells us what the New Testament is. And that piques my interest. I want to know what the New Testament is all about. And I'm not just talking about reading Matthew through Revelation. It's good to read Matthew through Revelation. But the New Testament or the New Covenant, the Covenant of Grace, what is the Covenant of Grace? What is the New Testament. Now in Romans, I mean in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. His ministry as the priest after the order of Melchizedek is superior than the 
uh, ministry of the priests after the order of the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, the law. This is juxtaposing law and grace. And it says, with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, He hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now, what covenant do you believe is better? Salvation dependent upon what you do or your salvation dependent upon what he did for you with no contribution for you? I can tell you what I know is better. If salvation is dependent upon him rather than me, oh, that's better. If it's dependent upon me, it's no good because I won't be saved. I will mess it up. I will be disobedient. If my salvation is dependent upon me doing something, me stopping some sin, me doing anything. I have no hope. But my salvation is dependent upon what Christ did for me. This is the better covenant, and it's established upon better promises. Promises of salvation conditioned on what Christ did rather than promises to me that I'll be saved if I do my part. Oh, the covenant of Grace, the promises of the gospel are infinitely better than the promises of the Old Testament, the works covenant. Now let's go on reading. Verse 7. For if that first covenant, the covenant of works, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now the covenant of works is faulty. Why is it faulty? Because it can't save. The law can expose your sin. It can show you how bad you are, but it can't do anything to save you. All it can do is reveal your guilt. That's all it does. In that sense, it is faulty. It cannot save. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. And that's the better hope we're talking about right now. He says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The New Testament, the covenant of grace. For finding fault with them, God found fault with the old covenant because it could not save. Finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a New covenant. A new testament. Now if you want to know what the New Testament is, please listen very carefully. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Now, he gave the children of Israel in Egypt. And when he delivered them from Egypt to Mount Sinai, he gave them the covenant of works, the Ten Commandments, all the moral, all the civil, all the ceremonial laws. That's the old covenant, the Levitical priesthood. And in this covenant, he said, I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Now, the language is important. 
He took them by the hand, but he didn't have their heart. They remain just as bad. Now, if there's a three or four-year-old child, I can take them by the hand. And I can lead them anywhere I want to. But that doesn't change their heart. And that's what the Lord did in the Old Covenant. He took them by the hand. And he brought them out of Egypt. But what does it say? Because they continued not in my covenants, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. You see, he took them by the hand, but there was no new heart. Now, listen to this statement very carefully. Law never produces love. Law only produces resentment. How you come up short, you don't have quite enough. God's too strict. Why is he being so hard on me? Law produces resentment. Grace, the New Testament, produces love. Now let's look at this new covenant. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Now, in the first covenant, he took them by the hand, but there was nothing done for the heart. In this new covenant, he says, I'll take my laws, no plural, I'll take my laws and put them in their mind and write them in their hearts. Now, what is he talking about when he says, I'll take my laws and put them in their minds and write them in their hearts. Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? No. Let me show you that from the Scripture in Romans chapter 2. This is important for us to hear this. We read in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Now, this is talking about every unbeliever. It's talking about everybody born into this world. I don't care if it's in Asia or Africa or Europe or Australia. Whatever the place is, everybody is born with the law of God written on their hearts. They're born knowing it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to lie. Sexual sin is wrong. It's wrong to covet. Uh, The law of God is written on the heart of every man. That's why when I hear people say, we need to be taught to live, you know how to live. You might not live right, but you know how to live because that law is written in your heart. You know it. So he's not talking about the Ten Commandments written in the heart. But in the New Testament, we read of six laws. God says, I'll write my laws in their heart. Now, the first law that I would mention that's found in the New Testament is what is called the law of sin. Paul said, but I see another law warring in my members against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The law of sin. Now, the only way you can see the law of sin is if you've been given a new heart. 
if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, because the natural man has no understanding of sin. Uh, a very superficial view of sin. But when God saves someone, they see, like Paul, that all they do is sin. Now, understand this. I don't become a sinner when I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. And because that I always have this sinful nature and will carry it until I die, it means there is sin in everything that I do. And I know that's so. I don't have to be convinced of this. I know it from the Word of God, and I know it in my own conscience. This is what I, I know. The best gift I've ever given is filled with sin. The most pure prayer I have ever prayed, God has sent me to help for it apart from Christ. Uh, the most uh, effort I've given to fight sin is sinful in and of itself. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There is a law of sin. And when God gives somebody a new heart, they find out about this law of sin. That's what makes them look to Christ only as their righteousness. They don't have any personal righteousness of their own. I'm still a sinner. Somebody says, well, I'm not a sinner anymore. Well, then you don't know what sin is. I'm still a sinner. Every breath I take is proof of that to me. There is a law of sin. And you have to have a holy nature to be able to see that. But not only is there a law of sin, this is a part of that new heart that God gives. He said, a new heart will I give you. I'll put my spirit within you. Uh, there is also a law of righteousness. Romans 9.31, the law of righteousness. A believer cannot be satisfied, cannot rest in anything but a perfect standing before the holy law of God. A perfect righteousness. <clears throat> I cannot rest in anything but a perfect righteousness before God. And the only righteousness that's perfect before God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I rest only in His righteousness. I can't be satisfied with anything short of a perfect righteousness that God's holy law looks at and says, I'm well pleased. There's no fault in Him. Now the third law is what is known in uh, Romans chapter 3 as the law of faith. Romans 3.27, the law of faith. Now listen to me. This is the law of my nature. I cannot not believe. Oh, my old nature never believes. The man said, I, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I always got to cry that, but my new nature believes. I cannot not believe. I cannot do anything but look to Christ only and rest in Him. That's my nature, to look to Christ only. I cannot not believe the gospel. That law is written by God in my heart. I must look to Christ. I must find Him as my all. Fourth law. We read in James chapter 2 of the law of love. Now remember laws of nature. This is the new nature of a believer. This is not the old nature. This is when God puts his laws in the heart. I've got a law of love. I must love God as he is. I do love God as he is. I love him in all of his attributes. I love his word. I love his way of saving. I wouldn't change him if I could. 
I love God as he is, as he reveals himself in his word. I love his people. Everybody who looks to Christ, oh, I love that person. And my dear friends, I love all men. I love all men in this sense. I want them to have what I do. I want them to be, set, to be saved by the grace of God. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're my greatest enemy or the people who wish me the most ill. I want them to be saved by the grace of God, to know the Lord, the law of love. And then James speaks of the law of liberty. Everybody that's born, been born again, they must have liberty. What's that mean? It means they can't, if, if I owe anything to God, I've got no liberty. I've got no freedom. I've got to be free before the law. And I've got to do what I want to. I don't want to have a, a religion that's very unhappy, doing things that I don't really want to do. I want to do what I want to do. That's liberty. The law of liberty. The Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then there's the law of Christ. That's the sixth one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, a trespass, a sin, you understand how someone can be overtaken by sin because you know yourself. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, which have a spiritual nature, born from the Spirit, born of the Spirit, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now that brother, his sin is a burden to him. Your sin is a burden to you. Bear ye one another's burdens. Put up with one another, love one another, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So in the New Testament, first of all, it's God writing his laws in a man's heart and a man's mind. And then he says next in verse 10, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now in the New Testament, you have God for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? You have God for you. You're his people. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he's your God. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. In the New Testament, God says, I shall be to them a God. That means a savior. That means one who reveals himself. And they shall be to me a people. The people of God. And then he says in verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. Saying know the Lord for all shall know me. From the least to the greatest. Now here's what happens in the New Testament. We come to know God. And I'm not talking about name dropping. We actually know the living God. The Lord said in John chapter 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they might know 
thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. In the New Testament, you have people that are not name dropping, but who really know God. Now, I think one of the most powerful illustrations of this is the thief on the cross. When he was first initially nailed to that cross, he didn't know who the Lord was. But he came sometime during that time to know who he is. He had been cursing Christ, making fun of him. And all of a sudden, he grows silent. While his fellow thief continues to curse, he says, don't you fear God? He knew that that one hanging beside him was God manifest in the flesh. How did he know that? Same way you know it if you know it. God revealed it through his word. He knew he was God. He knew who he was. He said, don't you fear God? He said, you're in the same condemnation. And we're getting exactly what we deserve. But this man, he knew he's the God man. This man hath done (coughs) nothing amiss. He never sinned. How did he know that? He'd only known him a couple hours. How did he know he'd never sinned? Because he knew who he was. That's how he knew that. He knew who he was. And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He looked at that man who seemingly was so helpless. And he said, you're the Lord. You're the absolute ruler of all things. You're in control of everything that's taking place. You're the Lord. How did he know that? Because he knew who he was. He said, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, you're not going to stay dead. You're going to come back as a mighty reigning king. You're going to be successful in whatever it is you're doing. And you'll come back as a mighty reigning king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he know that? Because he knew who he was. All shall know me. You see, if you know who he is, you will trust him. We know him as he is revealed in his word. And we love him as he's revealed in his word. And that's why a believer becomes offended when they hear something contrary to him because they know him and they love him. And they're offended by that which is contrary to him. Now let's go on reading. The New Testament. Here's what happens in the New Testament. Verse 12. He says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more and do you hear that I will be not I will if I will be merciful and that word merciful is the word propitious I will be propitious to their unrighteousness. Somebody says, what in the world does that word mean? It's a very important word. For God to do something for me or you, he had to do something for himself. 
And his, the death of his son was a propitiation for sin. It means that his death propitiated God. It removed God's reason for anger because the sin was removed. He said, I will be propitious to their unrighteousness. I'll, I'll remove my reason for anger by putting away their sin. Now you remember when that uh, publican in the temple said, God be propitious to me, the sinner. That word merciful is the same thing. God be propitious to me, the sinner. Do something about my sin. And the Lord said, I say unto you, that man went down to his house justified. His sin had been removed. He had no sin. I will be propitious to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now this does not come from God having a faulty memory. It's because of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ. There's nothing there to remember. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for them. The reason God doesn't remember my sin is there is no sin to remember. And let me say this. When I'm in heaven, when I drop this body, this body of sin, and I'm raised incorruptible, when I'm in heaven... God will not look at me and think, I remember what he did. No. He remembers my sin no more because there's nothing there to remember. Even in heaven, he's going to view me as one who never, ever sinned. Their sins and their iniquities. Now, this is the New Testament. I will be propitious to their unrighteousness. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross He said, I will be propitious to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now that's the New Testament. It's God not taking you by the hand, but writing his laws in your heart. The New Testament is God being your God and you being his people. The New Testament is coming to know the Lord because he reveals himself to you and you know him. He knows you and you know him. The New Testament is God being propitious to your unrighteousness. Him taking his son and sending his son to bear your sins. And when he died, that sin was put away. God has a reason to be Merciful to you because he's propitiated you are no longer a sinner in his sight. He says their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Now that is the New Testament. Now look what he says in ending this chapter. In that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Talking about the covenant of works. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old. What decays? Things that are dead. It decays and waxes old, is ready to vanish away. Thank God for the New Testament. We have this message on DVD and CD. If you call the church, right, we'll send you a copy. 
Look on our website and you get the message from there. This is Todd Nyberg praying that God will be pleased to make himself known to you. That's our prayer. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen. 